0: Normally you don't want to be cursed, but this is just one of those weeks. It's episode 325 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. The reason I say that is, is that the new series Cursed Cursed has dropped on Netflix this week and you're going to get a chance to learn a little bit more about this magical world with director Zetna Fuentes, who was part of the show. So we'll dive deeper into it to find out why you need to be streaming this thing on Netflix Throughout the week and maybe multiple times, who knows? Also, speaking of new shows, going to be talking about the Alienist, Angel of Darkness, which is, which is technically a follow up to the first season of the Alienist. We'll dive into that. Plenty of nerd news, and of course, you want to talk about some great, great stuff that you can listen to. Yes, yeah, Serial Box has that. If you haven't had a chance to go to serialbox.com slash d n p o d yet to get that forty percent off select titles i'll tell you more about why you should be doing that this week but we start things out with comics as we always do it's what we're reading next on the down and nerdy podcast
1: my name is bo Smith. i'm the creator of wine owner earth and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast
0: either your pull box was full or you had a lot of downloading to do this week whatever you're reading on it's time for what we're reading and that's because there were a lot of great books That dropped this week, but I've got a couple that I had my eye on, starting with Empire number one from Marvel Comics, and Al Ewing and Dan Slott doing the story there with the script by Al Al Ewing. Valerio Chiti on the art, Marte Garcia on the colors, and VC's Joe Caramagna on the letters. Great cover, too, by the way, by Jim Chung and Frank Martin. Now, there were a couple of Prelude comics for this. One was uh, Empire Avengers number zero, and there was also a Empire Fantastic Four number zero if you did not read those prelude comics the beginning of this book it actually kind of spells it out pretty nicely and lays the groundwork for what's going on I mean sure there's more details in those prelude issues but if if you haven't gone and re- read those yet and you're wondering if you needed to I'd say you kind of don't you, you you get the gist of what's going on you get kind of a synopsis of it almost in this book so the Avengers are ready for battle with the Kree Skull Fleet on one side, And you've got the Fantastic Four on the other side. On the other side, which you know, at first I kind of thought they were with the Kree and Scroll Skr- Skr- Fleet. A little bit of a spoiler alert here. They're not really with them so much as they're trying to find out why Hulkling has joined up with the group instead of being with the Young Avengers and what their intentions really are. So it, this book, almost the first issue, seems like a kind of a mediation. At one point or another, which is kind of interesting between the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, until there's an unexpected first move that's made. And you know, I don't spoil anything in these reviews. Let me tell you this. It was one hell of a move. And it was a shocking move. Let me tell you. I mean, and kudos to the art team, by the way. He did a wonderful job in that moment to express just how stunned everyone was and just the sheer horror of what was going on because it seemed like things were it, it almost seems like we were setting up for this war right and this was going to be the, this epic you know just all out battle and then all of a sudden something happens and it just catches it catches everybody in the book off guard it catches the reader off guard quite as, quite frankly as far as i'm concerned and it's something that I didn't expect. And I, if this was the setup in the in the prelude issues that they had and in the beginning of this issue, you got me. Okay, you, you, you definitely got me because I did not see this one coming. It's actually one of the best hooks I think a Marvel first issue has had in a big event series in a long, long time. This one was definitely worth the wait we we're supposed to get it in April we finally got it here in July Empire number one was worth the wait definitely worth your time make sure you're grabbing this if you haven't gotten it yet because you were a little leery of whether or not you'd like this because I know how Marvel event series can be sometimes this is one that did not disappoint at least in the first issue and it'll tell you what other issues are going to be coming out as well that'll kind of tie into this if you want to go that route as well so Empire number one yeah Definitely a big hit for me. I've also been waiting for this one for a long time. Snake Eyes, Dead Game Number 1 from IDW because we have Rob Liefeld doing the writing and the art for this one. Scripts and dialogue being handled by Chad Bowers, by the way. I'd less so Corona on the ink assist there. Federico Blee on the colors and world designs on the letters. Now, with G.I. Joe, we've certainly had plenty of of G.I. Joe versus Cobra stories, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. They've, they've been plenty of good ones. But this story kind of takes a deeper look at the past of Snake Eyes and of something he's connected to, kind of whether he likes it or not sort of thing. So it's also a present-day rescue mission, though. That's part of what this book, or at least the, the start of this book, is. And it's really about to turn into so much more than that because the Joes kind of go on this mission, they don't know what exactly they're looking for or where to find it, but they know that it's there, if that makes sense. Well, it will if you've already read the issue. So suddenly there there's a big surprise of who shows up in this book, first of all, a name that's a recognized for your G.I. Joe fan. And then that leads to kind of legend becoming reality for Snake Eyes or myth becoming reality, however you want to look at it. And he's in perhaps the for the fight of his life which for Snake Eyes is saying something. And I'll get back to that here in a second. But there, there's more to this than the, than it appears. And he'll be joined by a few other Joes to kind of take the next step in this mission because, I mean, it's the first issue. Of course, you're not going to have something end within one issue unless it's a one shot. So there's plenty more where this came from. And, and quite frankly, I'm in for this for a lot of reasons. First of all, there's nothing wrong with being entertained again by a G.I. Joe versus Cobra story, and this could still turn into that, in part. I'm not saying Cobra's not involved at all. We don't get that answer in this issue, but the story felt like a nice change of pace, quite frankly. Not only do we get a lot more snake eyes in this issue and we get to learn a little bit more about snake eyes, we also get something that I didn't expect. In the beginning of this book, the setup was done very, very well. It also helps that the art was really, really strong in this book, and I mean throughout. I mean, it was extremely detailed, one of the most detailed Joe books I've had and, and that I've looked at in a while. And the layout for the action sequences, actually, the way they were placed on the page and the way that they were presented really added to my enjoyment of this book. I mean, you kind of, there was a good fluidity there that I really enjoyed. The character design for The Big Bad is really simple, yet formidable at the same time, and it feels like a great Snake Eyes adversary. This isn't necessarily a G.I. Joe adversary. It's almost like they picture perfectly picked out an adversary for Snake Eyes that wasn't Storm Shadow, and it completely makes sense given the setup. I really, really enjoyed what they did there. So uh, this is another winner for me. Snake Eyes dead game number one from IDW. I was hoping to love it. I did, so it all works out in the end. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. It's going to be talking about the alienist angel of darkness. The season two premiere. technically. We'll talk about it spoiler free next on the down and nerdy podcast. Hi, I'm Simone
1: Mystic from Marvel's Luke Cage. And you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast.
0: Darkness has definitely fallen on late 19th century New York in the season two premiere of of The Alienist, Angel of Darkness on TNT. Since it hasn't aired yet, as of me recording this anyway, I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler-free review of the big two-part season premiere. Now, we are in New York City, 19, excuse me, 1897, with our familiar faces, which is Sarah Howard, who's played by Dakota Fanning. You've got Dr. Laszlo Chrysler, who's playing by Daniel Bruhl. And then you have New York Times journalist John Moore, played by Luke Evans. And we get to see how they've taken their next steps, right? We get to see, you know, Sarah Howard's got her own detective agency, which is pretty awesome. Laszlo still doing his thing as an alienist with a high profile case, and you also have John Moore who has gone from, you know, the social columns to being a legitimate New York Times journalist. But all of the stuff again, you 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 get the whole, you know, nobody necessarily takes them as seriously as they should because one of the main things about this show for me, and I'll get to the nuts and bolts of it here in a second, is that they feel like, it feels like they're being shunned for seeing the world differently than most other people see it. And I think that's a very interesting part of this of this series and of this premiere actually, their, their views on certain things and by the way, there is a major protest that's a part. Of this, of this first episode in this premiere, and and you'll get to see how, how that gets dealt with, and what is that, and what that's about, and and it just goes to show you that you know something can be so relevant so many years later, but for a different reason. So, and, and there is a catalyst to this, and and I can't really get too much into it, but you do know from the description of this episode and and of this season, by the way, so a little bit of a spoiler alert here if you don't know this, that the main crux of this season is that that Sarah Howard was charged to investigate the infant the kidnapping of an infant of a Spanish dignitary in the United States. And there is a reason why they end up kind of all coming together on this case that again, I can't really spoil for you here but when you get this eerie feeling that all is not right and you can and but the, here's the thing some of this isn't hidden though There, there's you can plainly see who is hindering this investigation and you, you say hindering this investigation but at the same time you're talking about a private detective you're talking about a journalist and you're talking about an alienist here right so you're not talking about you know, law enforcement per se. So, hindering them is not necessarily against the law, and that's the crazy thing about this. And again, you got to understand the times that you're dealing with, and, and that's one of the things that 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 is it makes it even harder. So, it makes them even that much better at what they do. But what we do get to see in this in this first. You know, in this premiere is I got to tell you, first of all, this is one that's going to make you want to check on your kids, right? This, this one, I'm not going to lie. this is going to make me you, you, you a little paranoid. I, I, I went and wanted to check on my little ones after watching this. And there's something that happens in this first episode that is just worst nightmare kind of gruesome. I could tell you that right now. And th- that is certainly nothing new for the alienists. we saw some pretty gruesome and, and uncomfortable stuff in the first season, but again, it's portrayed so well. I don't say that to say that it's a bad show or it makes you turn away. It doesn't make you turn away, but it makes you see, you know, how horrific certain things can actually be, right? And and it's not afraid to really just go for it and put it right out there. There's nothing sugarcoated about this series. That's for sure. And then not only do you have this gruesome case Right? You also have another case that may or may not be tied to the whole thing. And then you've also got, like, we see John Moore and how he's treated as a journalist of the New York Times and how his editor is viewing his work, which is, again, different from the norm of what you would normally see run at that particular time. You get to see, obviously, Sarah Howard being a woman and trying to have her own business in 1897. New York City. You can only imagine how that worked out for her. And then you get to see Dr. Chrysler who's kind of battling with some demons of his own in this in this season two premiere anyway. So but when you get this group together, they just work so well off of each other. The chemistry between this cast is off the charts good. And that's one of the things that, that keeps me coming back. To watching the Alienist, it's this cast and how they perform together, and 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 just how it it just feels like too that Sarah Howard is the fuel for this entire fire, if as you're, as you're talking about this group because just just her determination and her unwillingness to back down. And the way she just charges forward in a world that just wants to hold her back is extraordinary. And Dakota Fanning does such an amazing job with this character. I, I can't even tell you. And then you see, you know, Luke Evans' character of John Moore is is still very charming, and is getting that determination more and more. It seems like the entire time we saw how much of an evolution that character made in the first season of The Alienist, or in the first chapter, or however you want to call it, because this isn't necessarily a season two, but it is sort of thing. But again, the gruesome nature of what happens here is going to make you check on your kids, going to make you hug your kids, and probably want to sleep in the same room with them, because that's how uncomfortable things get in this season two premiere of The Alienist. The two-part premiere, by the way, on Sunday night, Starting at nine o'clock Eastern Time, and it's this is one of those shows where it's going to be tough. Some of the stuff that goes on there sometimes, but you're going to see historical figures that are a part of this series, which I love too. So there's so there's nothing that kind of gets left by the wayside in history, which I which I think is really really good. So we get some of that mixed in here. You get a very intriguing, albeit dark, investigation for sure. And you just get this group that just has this chemistry together that is absolutely incredible. Make sure you're watching The Alienist, Angel of Darkness, Sunday nights on TNT. This particular week is a two-part season premiere that's going to happen on Sunday night at 9 o'clock. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast, once again, brought to you by Serial Box. And me personally, I've been diving in to Marvel's Jessica Jones, playing with fire this week. I'm really, I've am really i been digging it so much, I can't stop. I've listened to like eight episodes in a row already. its I mean, Jessica's in therapy. She's got this case that she thought was going to be an easy one, but it's never that easy when it comes to Jessica Jones, is it? And one of the things I actually love about Serial Box is... They have a collaborative writing process, so all kinds of different writers are involved in this. Vita Ayala, Zoe Quinn involved in this as well, a couple of names you might know. They bring together award winning and best selling authors like that to create these completely original series as well as the new content around some of these popular characters that you already know. And you can read or listen to these, by the way, at serialbox.com or on their mobile app, which you can get at the Google Play and Apple App Stores. I mean, IO9 says that it's like Game of Thrones, but for your ears, and it's kind of hard to argue with that. That's why you want to go to SerialBox.com slash DNPOD. You'll get 40% off select titles like Marvel's Jessica Jones. You can also enter DNPOD. That is the promo code that you can use there. I, it's just, there's so many things you're going to want to add to your library. I know I've got a ton in mine, and you are going to reel it, whether you're a Marvel fan Whether you like just science fiction, crime noir stories, they've got a whole bunch. Go see for yourself at SerialBox, S-E-R-I-A-L-Box.com, slash D-N-P-O-D, or promo code D-N-P-O-D to get 40% off select titles from SerialBox. And just like me, you'll find plenty of obsessions to keep you busy with SerialBox. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Alienist Angel of Darkness premiere. Up next... There's some nerd news to discuss, and we'll dive into it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, this is Lou Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: The Star Wars prequel series just got a little bit more interesting. It's time for nerd news. The interesting part comes from a report on a rumor from LRM Online that says that Hayden Christensen might actually be reprising his role as Anakin Skywalker in the upcoming Star Wars Obi-Wan miniseries from Disney Plus. Not only reprising his role, but having a significant role in the miniseries. Now, again, this is just a rumor. I, I I'm not sure what to make of it yet, of course, because you know any I, I don't normally like to talk about rumors, but I have it on some authority that that you know this source could be legit that this could actually be something that happens. So the question is is that is it something that you would want to happen? Part of me says yes and part of me says no. And I'll go, and I'll go with the latter first because the the part of me that says no is like okay, this was finally our chance to focus on Obi-Wan, right? the the focus was finally on this character that's never really gotten a ton of focus. I mean obviously we learned some about him in the prequel movies. We learned even less in the in the original trilogy, but at the same time it was like this was our chance to get to know this character on another level whenever this is set in the timeline, right? And now you put Anakin in this story and suddenly for some people, anyway, this the focus will shift to, well, you know, Anakin, unfortunately. And, and, you know, obviously him becoming Darth Vader, if that's where they, again, decide to put it in the timeline. If Anakin's going to be a part of this story, you got to feel like it's going to be post-Revenge of the Sith, right? And I was kind of on the, you know, the, what happened to Obi-Wan, what made him want to go into exile, what were his next moments right after the 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 events of revenge of the sith what what was happening there i was kind of hoping we get a little bit of that and now if you have anakin who of course is going to be you know ripe for revenge if this is the case and again we don't know really know really know much on the storyline or the timeline of when this is going to take place but i just i'm worried that the focus is going to be on the wrong character If you do this, but at the same time, there's a cool factor there too, right? Because then maybe that, maybe that's what the series should be about in part, right? Because that is a major event that has happened. And do they end up coming face to face again? And is that why Obi-Wan needs to go into hiding more than anything else? Does he go into seclusion because of a showdown with Anakin further on down the line? So, Just a couple of different things to think about there. I mean, you're either going to be excited or you aren't. Again, I know that the prequels are not everyone's cup of tea, to be putting it mildly. So I'm not sure if this is something you'd want to see. But everybody seems to want to see Obi-Wan, no matter how. Hopefully it does start up production January of 2021 like it's supposed to, if it is safe. Quickly, there was another bit of Star Wars news that was announced this week. It's going to be kind of a spinoff to Star Wars The Clone Wars animated series. And that was announced on StarWars.com that Star Wars The Bad Batch is going to be a new animated series, CG animated series, coming to Disney+. And basically, yes, it is members of The Bad Batch, which you saw in Season 7 of Star Wars The Clone Wars. You know, it's a unique squadron of clones who vary genetically from their brothers in the clone army. So it's kind of like... The Misfits. But they're going to be basically mercenaries and, you know, work for hire type of situation, it seems like. And and to me, the reason I'm excited about this is, is we could see an expansion of the galaxy now. We could see parts of the Star Wars universe that we've yet to see. And again, a galaxy is a vast thing. I think that that's something that kind of gets lost in science fiction, right? Is that a galaxy is not a small thing. So... If we're talking about their mercenaries across the galaxy, then you're telling me that I might be able to see something that I haven't seen before. And that's definitely something Star Wars needs to try to do a little bit more of. We got to see that a little bit in The Mandalorian and how did that work out? As a matter of fact, there's going to be a bunch of, of folks from behind the scenes of The Mandalorian. They're going to be working On this as well. And actually, Agnes Chu, who's the senior vice president of content at Disney Plus, has actually said that the relationship with Lucasfilm Animation, quote, is only beginning. Again, animation's not necessarily a pandemic proof way to be able to put on a show, but animation has certainly seemed to have been able to move forward while things are going on. So I think we're going to see a lot more animated series. And I think that especially in, in the world of Star Wars, you could do so much with animation and with the popularity of the Clone Wars. Why wouldn't you want to capitalize on that and keep some of a story, some sort of a story going? And when you're talking about mercenaries, if you do this right, it could be a really, really entertaining series. So no release date yet. I'll keep you posted on that, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have to offer. Speaking of things that... May or may not be offered and I rolled my eyes at this a little bit at the last minute, apparently new mutants, yes, the new mutants movie that may or may never happen we don't we don't even know at this point, but New Mutants has announced a panel for comic con at home this thurs this coming Thursday. I gotta tell you. <laughs> At this point, if you're not going to give me a release date on either Disney Plus or Hulu or or something of that nature, then why are we even doing this, right? We have no idea when we'll actually be able to see a movie again in a movie theater. No clue. And I know you might be chiming in saying, oh, I've gotten to see one. You know, my state opened up, blah, blah. Okay. I understand that. And that's great for you if you wanted to go to the movies. But here's the deal. You don't do this unless you have some actionable news, right? I know that this is supposed to be in theaters on August the 28th. Does anybody see that happening? Like anybody? So on Thursday, July 23rd at 2 p.m. when we actually get this Comic-Con at-home panel, I had better hear that this is being released on Disney Plus or on Hulu. Otherwise, what is the point? This is the movie. This It's the tease that keeps on teasing. And, and, and that's the frustrating part. And you're going to have members of the cast that are a part of this panel, like Anya Taylor-Joy. You're going to have Maisie Williams is going to be there. You're also going to have Henry Zaga is going to be a part of it. So and, and a bunch of others. Here's the deal. Put this, just let this movie come out already. Either to... Have fans be surprised at how good it is or to put it out of its misery, one or the other. Because we have waited long enough for New Mutants. And think about it. Disney's decide- Disney decided when they put Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, that was a power move. Because whether you think so or not, Hamilton would have printed money at the box office. I mean printed it. It would have been a big hit. I know you're thinking, oh, well, people saw it on Broadway. Not really. Not everybody. People in New York did, but not everybody. And who's to say they wouldn't go see it again being able to see it in the movie theater? You can't be small-minded enough to think that something's not going to work out just because you've already seen it or you think it's not going to work. Hamilton would have made big bucks at the box office, but they decided that they were going to do this now. Why not make the same decision? For New Mutants, why not make the same decision that you did for Hamilton or Artemis Fowl? Because those were, at least in Artemis Fowl's case, I felt like they had a lack of confidence in that movie. Now, if they really do have a lack of confidence in New Mutants, and that's what has seemed to plague this movie from the very beginning, right, and again, there's no actual knowledge there, but that's the impression you get, then why not just put it out? On Disney Plus, take take your lumps and move on with your life. right? Let this movie go away because if you don't release it at some point, I, I don't know what to tell you. I really don't. I, I don't understand what they're waiting for. And you want to keep delaying things and hoping movie theaters open up? That could be a risky little game, especially the more and more you read, the more and more you realize that there is a possible very dark future for movies inside of theaters. Hopefully this is not the case for Black Adam, though, because the Dwayne Johnson-led movie is supposed to be coming out in 2021, if I'm not mistaken there. So we actually finally have more casting news other than Black Adam himself. This comes from The Hollywood Reporter that Noah Centineo is actually going to play Adam Smasher in the upcoming movie. Now, remember, Noah Centineo was supposed to play he-Man and the Masters of the Universe movie. It looks like that's been put on hold. So, you know, you gotta get a spot open. And enter Adam Smasher in the world of the Black Adam movie. Now it's interesting that we that we get that. And we don't get another character. But remember, it's not like Adam Smasher is brand new. Obviously, Adam Smasher has a history in the comics, has even, you know, had tyings with Black Adam in the comics before also you have the fact that Adam Smasher was in season two of the flash and the season two premiere remember Adam Copeland's edge played him so it's not like Adam Smasher is going to be a complete surprise to fans but you get somebody like Noah Centineo to play him and and he's a you know rising star that's a pretty big deal I think so I I think that Adam Smasher is going to, Adam Smasher is going to play a much bigger role in this movie than than you might think just given the circumstances, we also found out that Dwayne Johnson's going to reteam with Jean May Colette Serra, who is the director of Jungle Cruise, which Johnson is also in, and going to be directing this Black Adam movie as well. So, does that mean that we're going to get some more, you know, similar casting or, or very friendly faces that are going to be joining this movie? It's only, a, we're in very much a wait and see approach on pretty much everything. Right now, but I mean, Adam Smasher being involved in this movie, this this gives you another powerhouse to look at and take seriously, or not, quite frankly. And it's somebody that can match up with Black Adam. I mean, obviously, you feel like Black Adam wins that in the end, right? Of course, but at the same time, it, it's nice to actually have some news to talk about coming as it comes to this movie cuz we got almost nothing for the longest time. Now we've gotten a little bit of stuff. So, hopefully we find out more about what's going on with that with DC fandom coming up at the end of August. There was another animated series that was announced this week and this one I feel like has been a long time coming and this time it is Netflix making it happen. A new CGI animated series is going to be happening for Usagi Yojimbo. And I know fans are thinking, finally, this is a character that's been in the Ninja Turtle shadow, is what seems like forever. So 35 years of comic book history are finally going to be put on the screen in his own series with Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles. That is what the show is going to be called. And yes, Dan Sakai, who created the character, is going to be involved in this, so no worries there. Dark Horse Entertainment going to be involved as well. Atomic Monster, you want to look those up. That means James Wan, by the way, is going to be involved in this. Just in case you weren't sure exactly, you'll also have the uh, 88 Pictures, which worked on Fast and Furious, Spy Racers for Netflix. They're going to do the CGI animation, and it actually takes place in the far future. That's when this is going to take take place so i think that this has been a very long time coming and this is a character that has a that is that is very interesting and of course has a lot of storied history and it makes you wonder you know what freaking took so long to make this happen right that's the thing that drives me nuts it's like this is a character that's been there for a while and we've seen him in other things you know but never really the spotlight on usagi right and now we're finally going to get that very justly deserved spotlight, and I can't wait to see where this goes. I think we're going to be waiting a while for this one, though. I mean, if the Cyberpunk series that I talked about a couple weeks ago isn't coming out until 2022, I can't imagine that this will come out that much sooner unless they want to try and rush it, which, I, you know, rushing is never a good thing, and I'm not sure you want to rush this because Quite frankly, this is something that could have a long-standing future, and I think Netflix realizes that. Otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't have signed up for this. So, knowing that there is a long-standing future possible there, and I mean you're talking about action comedy, so that could, you know, certainly be something that's for parents and for kids as well. I would keep my eye on this one. I'll keep an eye on a release date for you, but this might actually be coming out sooner rather than later. Not anytime soon. But sooner than you might expect. That's going to do it for nerd news up next. Speaking of Netflix, going to talk about the new series Cursed, which just dropped today. Going to be talking to the director of the first two episodes at Zetna Fuentes. Joining me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey guys, it's Larisa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Just yet another Netflix series that I've been looking forward to so much ever since I saw that first trailer. It's Cursed, and there's so many great things about it. And if you're jumping right in in the beginning, why not talk to the director of the first two episodes, Zetna Fuente? Zetna, how you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, Zetna, you've actually worked on several award-winning TV series in your career. What was it about Cursed that made you interested in working on this series?
1: Oh, there were a, a few really amazing elements of this project that, that really made me want to jump in. Uh, you know, first, when I found out who created this, the book series and who was creating the, the TV series, Tom Wheeler and Frank Miller, I was it's super excited and, and wanted to do anything I could to work with them. And then when, when I read the script, you know, I thought, uh, this is a story that I really want to tell. You know, it takes this legend this Arthurian legend that I'm, you know, fascinated by have been since a kid and and taking, you know, The Lady of the Lake and doing her coming of age story. And I thought this is a really fresh take and and I want to be a part of this.
0: Now you actually, like I said, directed the first two episodes of the series. What was the most important thing you wanted to do in making a first impression on this potential audience?
1: You know, I think for me it's always about the story and and the main characters. And I think that in establishing the world is there's so much to do, you know, visually and tonally. And, and I think that all of those are obviously, you know, incredibly important, but if you are not invested in, in your protagonist and, and their relationships, then, you know, I think everything else has come secondary. So for me, it was really about establishing Nimue, our hero and what was at stake for her and and all the nuance and the subtleties of her character so that an audience would be compelled to watch and and be pulled into the world
0: we actually learned a lot about her actually in the first couple of episodes what were your first impressions of the character when you first started working on the series
1: i kept you know reading the script over and over again in the book and really you know i loved that she out very human, you know, although she's fey, um, but, you know, her flaws and her, her, uh, you know, her outlook on the world and, and, what she wanted from herself and her family and her community just felt something like I could relate to and I, and resonated with me. And I thought that, you know, she was worthy of this hero treatment. You know, I thought, here's a young woman who is struggling with all of these issues and needs to find the courage to, to, you know, protect herself and her family and her people. And I, thought, I was very moved by that.
0: I feel like Catherine Langford really brought sort of a vulnerability to the role that really stood out in these first couple of episodes.
1: What made her the perfect choice for this role? I couldn't agree more. You know, I think she's really tremendous. Um, I wish I could take credit for her casting, but she was cast already when I came on, and I was ecstatic because I had seen her in 13 Reasons Why, and I was already a fan of her work. And I think she brought so many other layers and colors that I couldn't have even thought of in the beginning. You know, that vulnerability that you just mentioned, um, heroic quality, uh, a sensitivity, you know, a strength. Uh, she, she just brought it all.
0: Now, one of the performances to me when I first started watching the series that stood out, was Gustav Skarsgård's Merlin. What was it like on that performance? And were you hoping that this would kind of feel like a Merlin that fans hadn't seen before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just over the moon when, when Gustav was being considered for the role, you know, again, I knew his work. I was a fan of his work and, and he just took that character of Merlin and, made something so special you know the the script had written this character that was a completely different version of Merlin than we had ever imagined and then when Gustav started to bring it to life he just filled it with so much um so many more things than we could have ever hoped for and he yeah you know he's this this very different Merlin and I just can't ever stop watching him
0: yeah you and me both I can tell you that right now I, I love that performance so much so much. Oh, We're talking great. to Zetna Fuentes, the director of the first two episodes of Curse, which you can see right now on Netflix. Now, Zetna, when you're make, when you're working with elements of magic, and of course certain non-human characters, is the best way that I could possibly put it, the effects are usually done in post-production. Now, as a director, what is the key to making those scenes as realistic as possible in working with your actors while you're on the set in the moment?
1: So, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a really big challenge. Um, I think the first thing was that we had all had these early conversations about how we were going to try and do as much practically as possible because it felt really right for the story and the tone that we were setting. You know, we wanted our magic to feel like it was organic and coming from nature and it could be subtle where it needed to be and then dramatic where it needed to be. So in an effort to do that, you know, we created hopefully a a working environment that had as many practical elements as possible and then a lot of planning for all the VFX that we were going to need to augment. And so, you know, planning with VFX supervisors and all the artists involved and cinematographer and production designer, you know, just making sure that everyone had the same vision going forward so that when we got into post, it all meshed, you know, correctly.
0: Do you feel like adding more practical effects? Because I actually feel like I saw quite a few. Do you feel like that added more of an authenticity to the series early on to tell the the viewers, okay, this isn't just going to be some big CGI series?
1: Yeah, I really hope so. You know, that was our intent was to make it as visceral of an experience as possible, grounded in nature, grounded in these elemental forces of, you know, Um, lightning and rain and fire and 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 we really wanted it to feel like of course magic exists because we've set the stage for it to exist in a very you know hopefully organic and practical way
0: absolutely now other than Nimue I'm not sure any other character made the instant first impression that Daniel Sherman's weeping monk did in this series (laughs) so how much would you say we get to learn about him early on for those who haven't started watching yet And how important was it for you to have him make such an impact early on as that character?
1: We loved the idea of giving that character this, like, you know, epic intro. We talked about it very early on. It was in the script. And then we just, you know, went with it that we thought this is a character worthy of, you know, this kind of treatment. And so it just felt like it needed to be that, you know, you you needed to meet this. What we call it, you know, the boogeyman. In this way, we wanted it to feel really um, just epic in nature.
0: I can tell you right now, the trailer didn't do it justice. I'll be honest, because when I saw it, and when you, when I saw it in the episodes, I'm like, wow. Usually, it's the trailer that makes you go, "I got to see this bad guy." And, and instead, it was the first two episodes of the series where I was like, "Whoa, look out for this guy."
1: Oh, that's great. That's exactly
0: what we wanted. There you go. There you go. Well, it worked out, at least for me, anyway, and I'm sure for many others as well. Now, that, now are there any characters in this series that you kind of wish you had the opportunity to work with more that you didn't really get to work with in these first couple of episodes?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. You know, I'm, I'm so greedy with my, my, my actors and my story. And I, I you know, I did the first two episodes, which was amazing. And I, I, I couldn't work on more, although we try, we tried to make that work schedule wise. So, you know, for example, when, um, when we meet, you know, a grain or sister Iris, those were two actors and two, you know, that I think crushed their roles. And I was a little bit involved in the casting process. And I was so sad that I didn't get a chance (laughs) to work with, with either of them. Just one tiny piece with, you know, Shalom who plays a grain. I
0: got to tell you, I think Billy Jenkins did a heck of a job too. That, that, that was Uh the character I'm like, yeah, I I got to see more of this kid.
1: Oh man, you know, at least I ha- at least I had a few scenes with Billy and we got to establish his character because that little man, I cannot express my love enough for him. He's such a talent, such a joy, and he's really good. <laughs> like he's a really good
0: actor. And that's like one of the first impressions that that you get of the series too. I'm like, oh, we gotta watch out for this kid. I like him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah, Zetna, before I let you go you can't have a story of Arthurian legend without the sword. There's, there's a line in the trailer actually, I, I don't know if I have this word for word or not, where it says, this is a sword that can get you noticed. So what makes the story of this particular sword so unique?
1: So we had endless conversations about this sword and, you know, we, again, because we were creating this world that felt grounded and, and, and naturalistic with its, you know, magic it's lyrical magic we wanted the sword to feel that way we wanted it to feel special but not kind of hokey special if you know what i mean mm-hmm. not you know when when it was revealed it, it didn't want to pull us out of the world that we had created but we wanted to give it its due and its importance and treat it like it's own, like it was a major character of the story and that was our intent you know every time we had the sword was in a scene it felt like it was an actor on the page. You know, we wanted to treat it with that much reverence because it's Excalibur.
0: No doubt about it. And you'll get to learn a lot more about that sword and about these characters if you're watching Cursed on Netflix. All 10 episodes available right now. And hers are the ones that, again, give you that first impression. It's director Zetna Fuentes. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Oh,
1: thank you. Really, really a pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: See, that's the thing for me about Cursed, too, is that it just doesn't feel like your typical... Arthurian legend it doesn't feel like your typical story of magic there's so much going on in this series and it's the characters I think that really bring it out and make it different from what you've normally seen and you'll have to see for yourself watch all the characters of cursed 10 episodes available right now on Netflix I think you're gonna fall in love with it just as much as I did That's going to do for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Zetna Fuentes for joining me this week and the folks at Netflix for letting me talk about Cursed. If you want more about this show and other shows as well, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Make sure you're supporting this week's sponsor, Serial Box. That's S-E-R-I-A-L box.com slash D-N-P-O-D or promo code D-N-P-O-D. You get 40% off those select titles you can also find out more on social media at down and nerdy 757 on twitter and on instagram and at down and nerdy on facebook remember you never have to apologize for being a nerd so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds